Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Living for Today podcast, where we explore the boundaries between reality and spirituality. I'm your host, Ryan Kurzak. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Mitch Hankins, founder of InstinctualWellbeing.com, about possible paths to healing autoimmune challenges and dealing with illness OCD. Let's see what Mitch has to say. Three, two, one. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm here with a very special guest. His name is Mitch Hankins. Uh, he is a recent friend, acquaintance of mine over these last few years. Um, we happen to share a similar interest in Kriya Yoga meditation and also health and well-being. And um, I discovered that he had quite an interesting health journey himself, um, going through some modern medicine routes and also finding some ways to work with his body and his health and his well-being in a more natural fashion. Um, so we're going to talk with Mitch today about uh, the journey he's been on, the things that he's discovered, and what he might be able to share with us such that we can also understand how to have uh, at least the healthiest, happiest life possible. So welcome, Mitch. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Ryan. I'm really happy to be here. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Yeah, no problem. So um, before we get started, uh, kind of digging into your whole story, um, first mm-hmm. of all, you're with instinctualwellbeing.com, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's the blog that I've uh, managed for the past oh, five or so years. Um, okay. So yeah, instinctualwellbeing.com. Okay, and that was created, or at least you got into that, based on your own uh, health path or path to health. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I struggled with multiple autoimmune conditions for years. And in fact, even before I understood that they were autoimmune conditions, just struggled with flat out being sick and not, not really understanding why. Um, once I wrapped my head around that a little bit more and started the healing journey, I just wanted to share that information with other people in hopes that you know, maybe it would benefit other people who are going through a very similar experience. So, yeah, um, you know, in the blog, focusing mostly on autoimmune conditions, but also geared a little bit more toward those who have chronic illnesses or chronic conditions. Um, and, yeah, the blog has definitely evolved over the years as my own learning and as my own experience has changed and evolved of what it really truly takes to heal and reach, uh, you know, as I kind of call it, total wellness. So right. it's, yeah, it's definitely been a journey and it's uh, and evolved so, quite a bit over time. <laughs> and so, so you're not one of us who have, you know, dove into alternative healing and well-being to change the world and become a practitioner. You're actually someone who had some serious issues and couldn't really get any relief and through your own research analysis, kind of found a way to work through this, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, later in the game, I actually, I, I am a technically a certified health coach, but I don't really actively use that anymore. Um, it's, it was more for my own knowledge and just learning about that. But yeah, I mean, right. I run a digital marketing agency, so I just <laughs> am kind of an average everyday person who just had these challenges and and wanted to share my perspective a little bit to the to the community 
Well, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. You know, number one, the fact that you were able to manage and, and heal what I would consider to be a fairly serious um, health challenge. Um, but also, mm-hmm. you keep bringing up the idea of uh, immune, um, you know, like autoimmune issues and chronic mm-hmm. health, health issues. And that, I don't know, but it seems to me that maybe that's, that's either more common these days or it's just that you know the sorts of issues that people dealt with in the past that they sort of ignored them so i kind of have the sense that this is applicable to a a large audience of people Mm. yeah Um, absolutely it's becoming very very prevalent especially i think that the prevalence of autoimmunity has probably been around a very long time but you know these are the folks like myself who felt like crap for years and went to every doctor under the sun, the best specialists they could find, you know, rheumatologists, uh, (laughs) immunologists, pediatricians, whoever, and everyone just sort of shook their head and said, I have no idea. You're fine. It's probably in your own mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, and and we'll talk about maybe to some extent there. Maybe yeah, to some well, weird extent that is true, but <laughs> not really. Right. <laughs> well, with that, that being said, um, let's just go ahead and, you know, let's keep that on the back burner, that whole idea of digging into yeah. you know, autoimmune issues and sort of how that seems to be becoming more prevalent these days. Mm-hmm. For you, you know, what was it that you were experiencing and what did you discover for yourself that allowed you to, because when I, when I first actually met you in person and talked to you, when you told me what you did and, and sort of the health challenge you had, I was kind of shocked because I'd known a few people with that and I had not known anyone who'd been able to actually get better from that other than taking something like methotrexate or, you know, some mm. serious hardcore um, cancer drugs. So do you mind sharing right. what your, your issue was and how you, how you worked with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if I'm being honest, the, the, official diagnosis, even to this day, continues to evolve, even as I'm seeing, you know, if I see a different functional medicine practitioner, they might have their own theory. But uh, in general, the things we've been able to determine is that I had, uh, well, I guess have slash had uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, Hashimoto's, which is a an autoimmune condition and disorder of the thyroid, and uh, fibromyalgia as well, um, which basically makes it just feel like your entire body is on fire because you're nerves are so agitated at all at all points in time right so the combination of these um i mean there was a very good period there where i was i mean i was bedridden i could barely go to work um (laughs) i was you know 27 years old and my my dad had to like come fly and help my wife and i basically as a caretaker because i was just incapacitated could hardly think couldn't drive um, brain fog is a very real issue that I think is not discussed enough, but, um, yeah, those were the, the biggest things that I, that I struggled with. Right. Well, that's, that seems to be enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. what, what were they, you know, what was your medical professionals? What were they wanting you to do? And then what did, what did you end up doing? You know, how did you, what did they want you to do? And then where did you go from there? Yeah. Well, honestly, for like I said, you know, I kind of alluded to this, but for a long time, it was it was a head scratcher. People had no idea what was wrong with me. And I would go in and and be very genuine about the pain that I was in or uh, the distress that I was experiencing. And some of these best doctors, you know, at least in the area that I was in, 
they would just look at me and say, I don't know what you want me to tell you. There's nothing wrong with you. Your tests are coming back, quote unquote, normal. Um, your x-rays are fine. Like there's, there, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Um, so it was sort of a combination of doctors just shaking their head and being like, I'm not sure. Sorry, you seem healthy on paper. Um, there were a couple doctors who they did flag the rheumatoid arthritis in at the time the, the uh, kind of go-to tra- treatment were those really aggressive, uh, almost cancer-like drugs that you were um, referring to at the beginning. So that right. was definitely something on the table. Um, so it was either these like really aggressive treatments or it was, there's nothing wrong with you. You probably should just go to therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you've been doing that since you were a kid though, right? <laughs> yeah, I have been in therapy. I have been in therapy since I was a kid. So I was yeah. like, I've already got you beat there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. did you, did you actually try any of that or did you just kind of do the research on what that can do to you and say, Hey, I'm not doing that. Like the methotrexate yeah, I mean, or, or those kinds of drugs. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I did the research and kind of looked into things and just said, that's not really the path I see myself taking. Um, the thing that I tried, obviously, for a, a while was taking like a, a thyroid medication. Um, and I think a lot of people still do that. Like Synthroid is a pretty common one. Um, that's probably as far as I went because I just, I didn't feel satisfied with the answers and the suggestions that were being given to me. I never just intuitively, right? Like it doesn't have anything to do with being spiritual or not. Just like as a human being, just, I I didn't feel like that was a good choice for me. So uh, I just kept searching and eventually stumbled more upon the natural route and uh, found actually a functional medicine doctor. And it was like, yeah, my whole world just opened up because finally someone listened, someone heard me, someone actually understood that could it be that the neurological pain and symptoms I was experiencing with my nerves uh, could be related to inflammation or to gut health or to maybe my brain fog wasn't because I was having early onset dementia, but maybe it was because of a problem with inflammation in my body. Um, So that was really, you know, when I started down the path of actually going through treatment um, of more, I guess, holistic supplement based treatments. So, so you were, you were working uh, with a functional medicine doctor and, you know, to be clear, when we use the term uh, natural health and well-being, there's many different levels of that, you know, like for example, Mm. after Melissa got her uh, leukemia diagnosis, someone actually said to me, well, have you tried scorpion venom? <laughs> oh, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, or, or, yeah, right. Or, uh, or you know, have you tried a, a, a colonic? And I'm thinking, you know, these um, people, I'm like, where, where are you coming from? You know, if you've got some kind of serious health issue, yeah, sure, let's go get some scorpion venom and let's go do some enemas <laughs> and see how that works. So for you, yeah. for you, you're talking about, you know, finding a doctor and functional medicine and, and what exactly – for those people listening who don't know what that means, what exactly is functional medicine? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, functional medicine is, is not really smoking peyote in the desert and kind of hoping for, <laughs> for it to, to heal. Um, you know, I like, I think functional medicine is really interesting because most of the time functional medicine practitioners, not, not all the time there's, you can, 
fun you can practice functional medicine um, a lot of times these folks come from a maybe chiropractic background right um, that seems to be an interesting avenue into it because chiropractic work is still a little bit you're thinking about the body as a system at least um, but a lot of functional medicine practitioners are actually MDs they've right. got or they're osteopaths um, so they're DOs and they actually went to medical school. They did the whole thing and they realized like, I'm not helping my patients this way. So functional medicine is essentially the, the additional training that is how to look at the body as a system and as a, a whole system. So you can understand how everything impacts each other. Everything relates to each other in the body. A liver disease or a liver problem is not isolated even from a cholesterol problem. And when you go to a traditional Western medicine doctor, they're not really looking at that. Or you go to them and they say, well, I only specialize in GI tract. I can't help you with this. You have to go to this person. Or So um, I guess in plain terms, that's kind of what functional medicine is. I'm sure there's a more medicalized definition out there. But um, okay. to me, it's just looking at the body as a whole and, um, and as a system. Right, right. And not necessarily gimmicky, like sort of the things we discussed. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's very much focused on um, more natural treatments. However, a lot of it's supplement based that I find. So you'll be maybe doing um, a program and you'll be focusing on more functional uh, supplements that work with your body as opposed to medications, which sort of try to disrupt the natural activities of your body. All right. Um, the other, I think, distinction that's really important here is functional medicine is the testing. Mm -hmm. The testing that's done with functional medicine is completely different than the testing you'll experience if you go to your, your general practitioner. Um, it's a lot more in-depth, um, and you can do testing about all sorts of things. Like, for instance, if you go to the doctor for your thyroid, most of the time they're just going to check for your TSH, and that's where the problems kind of set in is you, you go and you're like, I'm feeling sluggish. I'm feeling terrible. My hair's falling out. I'm gaining weight, whatever. Well, your TSH is fine. And that's the only number that they look at as an indication of thyroid health. But if you okay. were to go to a functional medicine practitioner, they're going to be looking at this entire range of uh, labs that measure health of the thyroid, including antibodies, um, so I won't get in too in the weeds there, right. but there is a big distinction with even the testing protocols and the functional ranges for some of this stuff. Okay. Um, you go to a, you know, you go to a normal doctor and they'll say your liver enzymes look normal, but by functional medicine standards, your liver ranges do not look normal. So okay. I think it's a lot, it goes a lot more in depth and um, really looks a little bit more, in depthly at things. Okay. Okay. And, um, so with that, uh, you know, after you finally got involved with functional medicine, you found, you know, a practitioner that, uh, you, you jived with and, and seemed to have some sense about them. Uh, what were some of the first steps that, that you took or that you found to be useful, uh, to kind of work with this, this health challenge that you were dealing with? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that that, Finding what you said is actually key to this healing process, because if you find a practitioner that you jive with and that you trust, 
Um, most of the times after they complete all of their tests and diagnostics and they understand and have a really complete picture of what's going on with you, they're going to recommend a treatment protocol. And, you know, there was, there was no magic involved in that first stage. I just simply followed what they told me to do. And I right. took the supplements. I trusted that it would work. Um, you know, and, and it did. So sometimes they'll recommend other supplementary um, practices like maybe getting adjusted by a chiropractor is part of it. Maybe um, doing some massage therapy, maybe that is part of the treatment protocol. But yeah, at the beginning, it was really just adherence, I would say. It's just getting enough rest, drinking enough fluids, and, and following the advice of this individual who I finally felt heard me and understood my, you know, somewhat unique challenges that I've been going through for 15 years, but <laughs> just right. had people basically laugh at me for. So, yeah. Um, so with that, you know, you mentioned supplements, but also, you know, when I, again, when I first met you, one of the things that came up was uh, dietary, you know, changing your diet. Um, so, so what kind of things did you learn about diet and how that, you know, affected how you were feeling and sort of the symptoms you were having? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks for, for bringing that up. Obviously, diet was a really big part of it. Um, when I started with my doctor, he did recommend that I um, cut out mostly inflammatory foods. So at the time, this diet name was not, it was just starting to emerge. So he put me on essentially what was an elimination diet. Right. And we cut out, you know, inflammatory foods that are typically inflammatory for folks with autoimmune conditions, like gluten grains. So gluten and grains are, are different things, right? You can have a gluten-free grain, but he took out, you know, gluten, grains, dairy, also nightshade vegetables, which is actually, even though over the years I've reintroduced a lot of foods, nightshade vegetables, which are things like peppers spices, um, even like tomatoes, eggplant, right. and <laughs> um, potatoes, potatoes, right? Like white potatoes, actually a nightshade. Um, well, before it's you, not that you have to be, before you go any further with that, I, I want to, yeah, let's, let's pause there and, and remember what yeah. you were going to say. Okay. So do you got that in your mind? What you were going to say? Yeah. Okay. Yep, great. I got it. Uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to ask about when it came to like nightshades is, you know, that whole idea of lectins uh, being in, like, say, the yeah. seeds of nightshades or the skin of nightshades. And I'm wondering, um, just as a brief little aside, had you ever done any research into, like, pressure cooking those things to kind of get rid of the inflammatory aspect? Or was it just get rid of that completely and forget about it? Right. Well, later on, uh, as I went through this journey, I did learn a lot more about that. And I think that there's a lot of good literature out there. And considering the preparation of the foods, I do think can do a lot of good, like, um, you know, sprouting your legumes or soaking them, like you said, or pressure cooking them. Um, I have heard a lot of good results about that of if you just consider how you're prepping them and preparing them, then those foods can, it can kind of reduce the uh, inflammatory response to them. Right. Uh, at the beginning I was in such a bad place that he recommended I just cut them out kind right. of cold turkey. Okay. Um, yeah. So it, that is definitely a good point though. And, and that actually goes into what I was going to say. Okay. Which great. Is, 
Yeah, no, it, it fits in perfectly where I was going to say something I'm very cautious about nowadays when I'm speaking about diet is that I think these elimination diets uh, are helpful in the beginning when you're in a very kind of crisis mode, like your body just is totally, there's fires everywhere and you really need to heal. Um, but these elimination diets is a very slippery slope to disordered eating. And uh, yes. it's okay. really, yeah. Okay. And it's really, and I, and I did that for a long time and really well, had fear say more about around that. these foods. Yeah. Say yeah. more about that. This whole idea of disordered eating. I've never heard it put that way before, but what are you getting at? Spell it out for us. Yeah. So basically disordered eating is different than an eating disorder. And, and by the way, through all of this that I'm saying, please understand I'm not a medical professional. I don't have medical training. So if you're truly struggling with any of this stuff, seek out advice from a true medical practitioner, someone who's trained, someone who's well-versed in this stuff, a psychologist. Um, I'm just speaking from my own experience and my own research that I've personally conducted. Um, so that aside, um, disordered eating is, is different from an eating disorder because you know, for a long time, I didn't think I had a problem with food. I didn't think I had a problem with diet because I'm like, well, I'm not bulimic and I'm not anorexic. So what's the problem? <laughs> well, disordered eating um, is basically when you are restricting foods when you, and when you are obsessed with foods. That's kind of the most basic definition I could probably give. There are a lot of books, again, lots of literature, lots of books out there about this, but um, if you are obsessed and fearful and thinking about every single thing that you put in your mouth, every single thing that you're putting in your body, and you just, you know, can't even take a bite without thinking, is this going to hurt me? Is this going to damage me? Is this inflammatory? Is this going to make me fat? Is this going <laughs> to make me too skinny? Like all of these thoughts, right? And I do think that a slippery slope with the elimination diets and the diet that I actually advocate for on my blog, which is called the AIP diet or autoimmune protocol diet, these are very, I think they can be very helpful. Again, when your body is in crisis state, you need to pump the brakes, you need to put the fires out so you can address some other things and give your body the space to heal. However, yeah, definitely be careful about them mentality part of things because it's not that these foods are bad they're not enemy number one nothing is good or bad it's the the it's the uh, the labels the connotations that we place upon them right um, and that's so anyway i mean i can relate to that too having you know once i first got involved in meditation and yoga practice you know i tend to take things to an extreme and i remember it was probably six months before my 21st birthday and i decided that i was no longer going to drink, smoke, or eat meat. <laughs> mm -hmm. And of course, right. maybe, maybe the drinking and smoking is probably a good thing to quit doing, but you know, I wasn't going to eat meat and I wasn't going to uh, eat anything that was considered to be bad for me. And I remember getting in those, those places of being, you know, like you're describing, kind of obsessive about that. And yeah. I remember it was about four years in, I hadn't had a beer in, in four years, and one of my friends came to town from college and uh, he invited me out and he said, hey, let's get a beer. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know what that's going <laughs> to do to me. And uh, I remember he, he bought me a beer and I drank it. And the next day I felt horrible, like someone had just ran over me with a truck. And, yeah. and I thought about it and I said, is that in my head? 
So what I did was I waited for him to come back to town again. And I was like, Hey, let's go out and get a beer. And so I just got one beer and I drank it. And as I did, I, I focused on enjoying his company and just thinking that this is the most, this is fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this and nothing happened. Nothing happened. I was perfectly fine. You know, no issues whatsoever. So I do think there is something to people making, I mean, obviously certain foods, as you know, you know, that they can affect Mm -hmm. our our health and well-being. but sort of how we treat it also contributes. For example, you you said, uh, what did you call this? You called this uh, disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think maybe another name for this is uh, orthorexia. Orthorexia, that's exactly it, yes. Yeah, which according to Google <laughs> is, is the, term, the term for a condition that includes symptoms of obsessive behavior in pursuit uh-huh. of a healthy diet. And, and yes. you know, I don't live in Asheville, North Carolina anymore, which is sort of a, a natural health mecca, but that was one of the things I saw everywhere. Everyone was on a diet and they were just crazy about that diet. And if they strayed from it, they were afraid of all these things. Now, I thought that made them a little more neurotic than just trying to eat a balanced diet and paying attention to how foods, how foods, have, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because how do you, how does one separate out what is actually affecting them because it's just affecting them versus their mind is giving it uh, an, an added boost of, of energy to, to, to affect them in a, in a negative or positive way. That's something that I, I wrestle with trying to figure that out. I think that's a great point. You know, the way that I started to unravel that was actually accidentally. Um, and it was uh, doing a bit of experimentation with myself where, and again, I, the accident part was that for a long time, like several years, I convinced myself, because again, this is, it's a scary, right? It is so scary to be so sick and debilitated. Right. And when you find, when you find anything that works, it doesn't matter if someone says you need to smear cat poop on your face and you start feeling better. Right. You are going to do that for a long time. You're going to be scared to stop doing that. Right. Um, so when I started this healing process and I found that this elimination diet and cutting out all these foods, suddenly my health came back. I was terrified to reintroduce anything. Right. Um, the whole premise of an elimination diet is you're really only supposed to do it for 30, maybe 60 days. And I ended up doing it for like four years because I was just so scared. (laughs) Like, I was like, I can't, I don't know. But I accidentally, you know, stumbled into these experiments where I noticed when I would go back home to Florida and, uh, you know, whenever we go visit my family in Florida, like we always stay with my parents just because they have a nice big house and it's, you know, it's free, whatever. And they're Um, they're there to see yeah, and they're you're there, <laughs> family. So exactly right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, you know, I would stay there, and uh, one time I ate nuts. Like I ate some almond butter, I think it was, and I felt perfectly fine. Hmm. And literally the week before that, I had tried eating some almond type product in my home at home, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe at work or something like that. And I had a reaction to it, Mm. but I tried it again the next week. And it was because, you know, it was just, that was my first clue that hmm, maybe being in a relaxing, safe environment made my body feel safe to take in this food. And I wasn't overthinking it. I was with family, like you said, with your friend having a beer, just having fun, enjoying people's company, enjoying yourself, enjoying your time. And I kept doing this. And I kept every time I was relaxed or on vacation, we went to Hawaii on our honeymoon. 
and I ate French fries for the first time in probably four and a half years um, and felt completely fine. And so I definitely, you know, I do think that it's fear. You hype yourself up about certain foods hurting you or damaging you um, and it's environment and right. it's, it's the conditions like Ryan, when I was at the retreat actually last year, uh, remember when uh, Mr. Davis made the quinoa cake? Yes. Yes. And I ate it and you even looked at me and were like, you know, are you going to be okay type thing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I knew, I knew it was going to be fine because Mr. Davis made it and it right. was like the most relaxing, peaceful environment ever. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but again, still that, that kind of brings back this whole idea of, you know, you got to do the elimination diet, as you mentioned, like in, in acute, like in an acute situation where you, when you're in crisis mode, but then after yeah. you've gone through that, then what do you do? You know, then, then how did you approach diet? I mean, obviously you mentioned that you did it for four years, so that's a long time. Um, but you know, based on with your, your blog and your website, instinctualwellbeing.com, you know, and I had written to you actually, um, not maybe early last year because I had been dealing with mm -hmm. like a, a skin condition that I've had forever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we talked about the elimination diet and, um, you know, I described to you how, you know, many years ago I tried Ayurveda and acupuncture and a severe elimination diet that turned me almost into a skeleton and all these things and yeah. allergy testing and no one, you know, uh, could, uh, could find a situation or anything to, to contribute to it. And so I want to know how you approach the, the AI, the, the AIP diet, I suppose is what we were talking about, which we'll get to. But what's interesting about that is, um, you know, for a long time, uh, I, I did do this, uh, elimination diet and then here's what happened. Um, I discovered that if I put coconut oil on my skin once mm -hmm. a day just to keep it moisturized, I did yeah. not have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah, exactly. So I started eating pizza again, and, and I remember uh, uh, Jasmine, she kept saying, Are you going to be okay? And I was like, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> and yeah. sure. Sure enough, as long as, as long as you know, I, I'm just curious how how do we figure out these things where there are there are some serious dietary factors contributing to things? Because I know I know plenty of people who have gluten sensitivities and, and dairy sensitivities and all these sorts of things. How do we ride? How do we figure out? How do we walk that razor's edge of determining? Okay, you know, for this individual. All he needs is some, some, some moisture on his skin from getting contact dermatitis or whatever. I mean, but you had something very debilitating happening. You know, I could still function, mm. right? Sure. Um, so you, you've really been in the trenches with this. So what did, you, what did you come to in that? What have you come to in regards to figuring that out, how to approach that? Yeah. Okay. So that's, I mean that is the key, right? Everyone's so unique and there's so much great, everyone wants a magic bullet or a silver bullet. And there really is no, nothing. <laughs> there's nothing like that because we're all so unique. So right. I will do my best to answer that question. Um, well, would, this, probably, would this relate to the pyramid? Yes. So I think that I'll, I'll answer in a very short way and then maybe we can start talking about that because that's exactly what I was going to segue into. So we okay. are, we're totally in sync today. Great. Great. <laughs> we're, we're there. It's a good astrological day for it. <laughs> it is. Yes. Like, oh, you, you and Ryan are on the same page about everything. 
it's it'll be very auspicious. Auspicious, um, yes. Auspicious, auspicious. Yeah. I was like, no, that's showy. Um, <laughs> what well, could be yeah, that too? It, it'll be that too. We, we have to entertain um, people a little bit, otherwise they'll quit listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a top hat, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing pants. Um, <laughs> that is a party then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so a basic answer to your question about like when do you know what foods you should avoid or whatever? Um, basic answer to that question is, again, if you find a more holistic doctor, um, a naturopath will also do this for you, a functional medicine doctor. Um, I would recommend getting what's called a food sensitivity test. And that is, uh, I think it's IgG. It's like mm. if you Google IgG food sensitivity test. Okay. This, this is different then if you get an allergy test, like if you've ever gone to a doctor and they prick your arm like 500 times and see right. like what swells up. Well, first of all, if you have an allergy, like you are literally have to carry around an EpiPen for dairy or for peanuts or something like don't just don't just don't eat those. Right. Like that's right. common sense. Um, but some of these more subtle things you can identify through the sensitivity test where maybe you're not full blown having an allergic reaction that requires you to go to the hospital, but it's enough to give you brain fog. It's enough to give you headaches, irritability over time. The cumulative effects add up to severe inflammation in your body. Um, and I think it's good to understand that. I think it's good to understand what foods your body is reacting to at that point in time. And I stress that because these things evolve. Mm -hmm. So, you can get a snapshot of what is irritating your body right now. Um, for instance, something weird for me is celery. I don't know why, but on the sensitivity test, celery was like out, out of the moon. I'm like, that's like the highest weird thing. Huh. Um, and in, indeed, every time I have celery or celery, celery, root or anything, I really don't feel good. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I noticeably feel bad. So there may be some things, that maybe you do need to watch out for. And so I'd recommend at least maybe getting a couple tests that can orient you, that can give you an idea. But be open to the idea that this can change and evolve over time. Okay. So, you know, um, but <laughs> kind of getting into the food pyramid, I, or, or the, not the food pyramid, <laughs> but the, well, the, the wellness pyramid that I put together um, and I'll explain more about that in a second, but first a quick anecdote. Um, I basically was still working with that same functional medicine doctor that I, I did at the beginning. Um, even after following and adhering to the diet and all the supplements and everything for a couple of years, I was feeling much better. I mean, literally like went from being bedridden to being able to do everything a normal person did, but I would still feel fatigued. I'd still feel kind of icky not it just it's like it wasn't how you know at the time i was maybe 25 or something it wasn't how a vital 25 year old should be feeling and i kind of just knew that and i went to my doctor and you know said hey i'm doing all this stuff and i feel 80 percent better but how do i get that last 20 percent so i can get 100 percent and i'm feeling really good and he just said you might have to settle you know, this might just be your hundred percent is 80%. Mm. Right. And, and honestly, like, I guess at the time 
that frustrated me because I just said, that shouldn't be right. I should be able to feel 100%. I want to feel 100%. I want to be able to travel with my wife and eat out at restaurants and not be so restricted all the time. And I actually have a blog post um, on my blog, and it's called The Other 20%, where I talk about this idea of what is that missing piece? You've done diets, you've done supplements, you've done the physical part of things. Why, what's missing still? And that's really where it opened up this whole idea for me and really journey of emotional wellness, mental wellness, spiritual wellness. And um, interestingly, when I started meditating, when I started focusing on my emotional health, even my lab results improved. And my doctor was like, wow, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like doing yoga and or, you know, <laughs> meditating. Or, I'm just like, I'm resting. Like, um, and it made a huge, a huge impact, even physically, even the numbers reflected it. So that's where I came up with this idea of the, the wellness pyramid, um, which well, I know you'll yeah, let me just provide. Let me describe yeah. So what, what I'm going yeah. to do is I'm going to, I want to put it as the, um, the, the thumbnail for this particular uh, episode of the podcast. But you know, what, what I'm looking at here is a pyramid, um, much like the food pyramid, although I believe that's changed a lot since I was in school. But, um, but you know, they really need to put pizza at the top of it, I think. Um, but anyway, <laughs> or at the bottom, yeah, that's right. Pizza and, su pizza and sushi at the bottom. But this, <laughs> this particular pyramid, um, we've got uh, a bottom row or a, a bottom, bottom level where we have on one side physical, which deals with diet and supplements, and on the right side, lifestyle, how you're living your life, and is, is it supportive of your healing? Um, and then we go up into the mid-level of the pyramid, um, and we're seeing on the left side where it says clearing past traumas, so emotional healing, releasing limiting beliefs, letting go, and on the right side we have... Um, either learning, learning to love or relearning love, which is self-love, being able to open our heart and trust others. Um, and as, as we get to the top, uh, the apex of it, we have spiritual healing and awareness. And then right above that, we have total wellness. And mm -hmm. in this description, that it's important to, to stress, since people aren't actually looking at it, is that the base of the pyramid, which is much bigger, is the foundation. So physical and lifestyle is the foundation. And then from there, we move up to to clearing traumas and learning to love and love ourselves, self-love. And then from there, we're able to move into a sense of spiritual healing and awareness. And then the very top is total wellness. So everything builds up from the bottom, correct? Yes, that's exactly correct. Okay. All right. And one thing I did want to say, um, you know, as you were talking about, um, let's see, uh, as you were talking about the idea of taking care of your emotional needs or, or emotional healing, emotional well-being. Um, I remember a documentary, <clears throat> and I might have talked about in a previous podcast, but uh, a mm -hmm. documentary, I believe it's called Stress, the Portrait of a Killer. Mm. Yeah. And, and in this documentary, it's, a, it's on YouTube and it was made in 2008, it sort of, it describes how stress really contributes to so many negative health consequences. You know, they, they follow a, a troop of some kind of primate, maybe it's a baboon or something like that. And, yeah. um, and this troop of, of primates, they're eating the same diet, they're eating the same things, 
but the individuals that are on the outskirts of the society that are uh, picked on, that are abused, that are don't have access or, or are stressed about whether they're going to get enough nourishment, um, mm-hmm. even though they're, they're eating the same things, they had a higher incidence of inflammation in the body, diabetes, you know, these sorts of things. Whereas the individuals who, um, who were more, I don't know how you would say, established in the troop mm-hmm. and were sort of higher up in the ranks, they were eating the same foods, doing the same thing, but because they had less stress, they, they virtually showed no signs of, of uh, things like diabetes and inflammation. So I, I, just, wa- I just wanted to mention that uh, documentary, Stress, the Portrait of a Killer, just to kind of give people something to, to watch or listen to so that they understand that you know, diet, as you're saying, what you do with your life is important, but there is this whole other level that contributes to things. So I didn't mean to, to, to take you away from what you were going to say so we can get back to this pyramid now, but I wanted to to share that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Stress is so important. I'm glad that you brought that up because, and that's kind of the point I was making too, even about the diet. And when you're not in a stressful environment, you'll be surprised at what your body can handle or what foods it can suddenly tolerate. Um, As opposed to if you're, you know, trying to eat a donut, donut in between five stressful meetings and shuffling five kids off to soccer practice. And, you know, it's just a different, it's a different environment that you're creating right. in, in your body. So I think that's, that's very, very important. Yeah. Well, let's take it back to the, the, the pyramid here. So you, you, you worked with this pyramid and you started to see that after doing the physical things, after doing the lifestyle things, you needed to move on or you needed to, uh, you needed to address the, these, these mid mid pyramid levels. So what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, when, I, when, when we talk about, actually, I mean, this, again, really, this is a good segue of when we talk about stress and what leads to stress in the body, well, there's all different things that can lead to stress in the body. Um, some studies say that diet can contribute up to 40% of your stress load. So cleaning up your, or your body, not against your body, is important. Um, but, say that. You know, what say, about, say that one more time, Mitch, because mm-hmm. you, you sort you sort of phased out there for a minute. It might have been like a, a connection issue. So say that one more time. What you were just saying? Yeah. So uh, I was just saying there's there's lots of different things that can contribute to stress levels, and even some studies say that up to forty percent of your stress load is contributed by diet alone. Hmm. Um, and so you know. cleaning up your diet and making sure that you're eating foods that work with your body, not against your body is really an important part of that equation. But this other, like, let's say roughly 60% of your stress load, like where is that coming from? Well, part of it can come from lifestyle. So that's obviously the other part of the base of this pyramid that I kind of, you know, put together um, where you're living a lifestyle that is conducive to healing. Um, and this can even be something as simple as getting to bed on time. It could be something more complex as, you know, um, managing your relationships. Um, it can also be a job that you like. And I'm not, I really dislike when people advocate for just follow your heart and jump ship and leave your job and follow, (laughs) you know, just don't like have a plan, be smart. But, you know, I do think it contributes. Right. Um, 
Oh, I remember. I, I remember when, when my dad retired, my mom told me that uh, his, yeah. his blood pressure, like a week after he retired, when he went to the doctor, his blood pressure was just normal again. <laughs> wow, exactly, yes. Yeah. I mean, it really makes a difference. And, yeah. you know, I do. So actually, there, there is a book if you, uh, just if anyone does feel like they're a little lost in their career, not really sure what to do, uh, there is a book, if I might be able to recommend it, um, it's called The Pathfinder. Okay. And it's by Nicholas, Nicholas Lore. That's L-O-R-E, The Pathfinder. And um, actually, it was one of the most helpful books I've ever read because it walks you, talk about know thyself. I mean, it walks you through and allows you to really consider the things that make you tick, the things you're passionate about, your values, types of jobs and careers, you know, that might align with that. Um, again, it's, it's all a balancing act. It's not to encourage anyone to jump ship from their career tomorrow. But if you feel like that's contributing to your stress, I maybe look into that and see, right. you know, it's kind of like some co career coaching in, in book form. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, like physical stuff we've talked about lifestyle. That's anything from again, friendships, healthy relationships, going to bed on time, doing work that you enjoy, or finding ways that you can enjoy your current work more. Um, could be managing your money um, and making sure that your finances are in order. That's very, very important. This is based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that whole pyramid shows that, or, you know, it says that to hit that top of self-actualization, we have to have all of these other pieces in place first. If right. you're in survival mode and you're think back to our ancestors, right? Running from a lion every day and just trying to figure out how you're going to eat that week. You're probably not thinking too much about, you know, your goals and ambitions and, and God. And, you know, you're just, you're thinking about survival. So this right. is kind of the same way, build that solid foundation and then start to move on to, other components of healing mm -hmm. and so the idea of you know clearing past traumas and this idea of developing self-love and being able to open one's heart and trust others you know how did you start working that in you know after you got your after you kind of understood how your diet was affecting you and how lifestyle was contributing you were working with this functional medicine doctor um, where did you go to or how did you approach this idea of looking at traumas or, or where, did, how did you get into that, that middle level? That's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming at here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, some of it was a little serendipitous and some of it was intentional. I think that when I started clearing up some of the physical ailments and I wasn't just thinking every day how much in pain I was or how crappy I felt, you know, I got to start, taking a step back in assessing my life and start thinking about how can I bring my wellness, take my wellness to the next level. Um, Ryan, you had, you did some sort of video or podcast episode and something and, and you were talking about the importance of just getting a therapist, just getting a <laughs> counselor, just having anyone to talk to um, in a professional capacity about some of the things that you're in the challenges that you're experiencing emotionally or mentally. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that was something that I did was I started speaking um, 
<laughs> and ironically, you know, I didn't even realize this at the time, but this therapist changed my life. And looking back at it, uh, her name was Faith Hope. <laughs> like, really, really weird. Like I didn't even notice it at the time because I was. Like, that, that's like one of the, one of those moments when you go, "Is that your real name?" <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Really? Like that's awesome." But yeah, I mean, you know, she really helped me to stop to start identifying some of those patterns from childhood and maybe some of those limiting beliefs that were making me feel like I wasn't good enough, like I wasn't worthy of being healthy or being happy. Um, I was almost scared of the success and the stability that could come from being healthy and happy. Right. Um, as I, I grew up in a, a bit of a chaotic household. And so I always expected the other shoe to drop, right? Like, right. yeah, it's going well now, but so I was always on edge, right? Your fight or flight system is just always engaged. Uh -huh. Um, so I think working with a professional to help identify some of that stuff. Um, I would also, again, I, I, I hope this is okay, but I really, I'm not trying to encourage people to become self-help junkies. However, right. the way that my brain works is I love books and I read and I learn, and that's how I engage with a lot of my environment in the world. Um, I read a book that really changed my life and it's called letting go of shame. Mm. And that book was revolutionary to me of identifying these patterns of shame that maybe were, um, you know, <laughs> embedded in me perhaps or downloaded in me for, for years. And when I was eight and, and Ryan, by the way, you, you recommended a book called running on empty. Yes. And I think that, I think that these are both of these books would, would do something very similar for folks. Um, but that allowed me to start chipping away at this idea and opening up, up myself to, okay, maybe I'm not a bad person. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm not this terrible person who deserves to be unhappy. And okay, let's start thinking about some other things. How can I think about love? How can I think about relating to other people? Because in understanding that I'm someone who's likable and worthy of being liked by others. Right. So I think starting, maybe that would be a good starting point places is speaking with a professional and then also just starting to explore some of these limiting beliefs and honestly books are are i find a very good way to do that right and i agree with your you mentioned the idea of not being a self-help junkie and you know i've gotten some criticism for that because while i am very supportive of the idea of, of counseling and uh, mm -hmm. um, therapy what, what i'm not supportive of is people making that their, their life like a hobby. Yeah. Right. And, right. and the, the reason, the reason I, to clarify that, you know, we are here in my mind to grow strong. We're here mm -hmm. to be clear. And sometimes the only way you get strong is by messing up and trying and trying to figure out a way to, to, to do something on your own. And yeah. I, I do find that the therapy and the counseling is very good to help you. Like you mentioned with like the, with the, um, uh, the elimination diet, like when you're in crisis mm -hmm. mode, but at some point you also have to say, Hey, I'm an adult. Hopefully you're an adult. I'm an adult in this <laughs> world. I'm an adult in this world. And so I got to take responsibility for the fact that I'm going to live and I'm going to mess up. And sometimes things are going to hurt and I'm not going to be able to deal with it. And that's just part of being alive. 
right? Right. Um, so I, I like to encourage that, but also encourage people to, to, to let go. It's like training wheels. Eventually, you have to take off the training wheels so that you can fall down, skin up your knees, but then figure out how to ride the bike yourself. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So, so, you know, what you're describing, these are all very important. You know, I know people who are in jobs where, you know, their boss is like a, a neurotic, uh, psychotic, manipulative gaslighter. And mm-hmm. that's, that, that's something that, that you have to, if you don't know how to deal with it, it can be very helpful to have a counselor or someone give you the skills t- to either know how to navigate that or, or to learn how to extricate yourself from it. Or, or right. you know, I've talked to other people, and I, I talk to a lot of people being a meditation teacher and also an astrologer who've been in relationships where they're just obsessed with the relationships. And from my perspective, it seems like if you would just let that go and allow yourself to sit in the loneliness for a little while, maybe you'll see that you know, that relationship was taking up so much of your energy, so much of your time. And, and, and it can be that a counselor or a therapist helps a person to walk through that till, till they feel strong enough to do it themselves. That's, that's my emphasis and that, that's my thought in that area. And just like you, I'm not a psychological yeah. professional. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on this podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. And in and, and any of these, anything that you do that is external, is just a tool, right? It's just a tool to gain awareness. Because I find that the thing that's most stressful sometimes is, for instance, you're having triggers, right? Like everything's triggering you. Or why did that person make me so mad? They didn't even do that. Or like, why am I crying right now? I don't even... Sometimes those are just the body's natural response to something, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. you get in a car accident or you see something sad, like you're going to shake, you're going to tremble, you're going to cry, you're going to scream like, fine. Right. But if it's just everyday occurrences, someone bumps you on the sidewalk and you turn around and, you know, punch them in the face. Like that's, you know, you need to, that is stressful <laughs> too, because, because, you, <laughs> you know, I know Ryan, you do that every day probably. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm in and out of jail like all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, just, I know it. I know it. Um, yeah. But I think these, these are tools to help increase everything we're trying to do is just increase our awareness. Right. And, mm-hmm. and this can be helpful so that we can identify and just as soon as you shine a light on something, it loses its power. Right. That shadow isn't scary anymore. So that's why I recommend some of these tools. And like you're saying, it's not meant to be a permanent crutch. Um, but I think at the beginning, just to open up that self-awareness is, is really helpful. Right. And you mentioned this idea of, of shining a light on things. You know, one, one thing that I've always done whenever I had a, a health challenge or even an injury or things of this nature, um, sometimes before I would go to sleep at night, I would put my awareness on whatever was bothering me, you know, whether it was a, yeah. a, phys- a physical sensation or a, a health problem. And I would mm-hmm. just simply, simply ask, like with curiosity, what's this all about? You know, what, what did mm-hmm. this, where did this come from? And it doesn't happen all the time, but there would be times when I would, I would have a dream where it would almost reveal an, an underlying issue about what's contributing to that, what's causing that. And by having that information, that also helped to empower my capacity to, to make a change, you know, to, uh, to, to be able to, to, to live a little bit differently. And um, mm-hmm. So I think the whole idea of awareness is extremely important. And one thing that's on my mind right now, it keeps popping up, so I'm going to ask you right now. Um, yes. I, th- I think when I had written to you about sort of 
for sort of the skin issue uh, a while back. Maybe, hopefully I'm remembering this correctly, you know, you had mentioned certain kinds of um, maybe patterns of thinking or belief systems behind certain things that contribute. And that's very common with, uh, what's that woman's name? Uh, Louise Hay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Melissa, uh, (laughs) when she was going through her leukemia treatments and, and cancer treatments, she spent a lot of time sort of trying to figure out, you know, what is indicated there like why is she experiencing this from more of an emotional, maybe even spiritual level? And mm. so my question for you personally, you know, having potentially had that diagnosis of um, you know, autoimmune issues and um, rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia, I mean, were there specific things that, that you think is, in regards to how you think about things that relate to those kinds of conditions in particular do you understand my question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and that's it. That's all I'm going to say. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. Well, the podcast um, is over, so thanks, Mitch, for being here. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Oh, my gosh. Yes, for sure. Um, I have actually a lot of blog posts um, on my blog about this. Um, one is like the emotional – I think it's called the emotional meanings behind – the 10 most common autoimmune conditions or something. I mean, to me, when you are experiencing a, a physical ailment, okay. In our Western, in our culture, in our Western medicine psych uh, system, we often think that that is the symptom. That is the beginning of the cause. My belief over the years has evolved to be that when you're having a physical ailment, by the time that it manifests physically in your body, that's already been long planted in your, your field, let's say. Okay. So I really feel like disease starts energetically, emotionally, holding on to traumas, uh, holding on to fear, anger, uh, judgments. And then, so yes, absolutely. I think that there's actually a very good, um, um, a very good book and I'm going to think of the name of it in just a second. It is called, hold on. While you're thinking about it, I'm going to say something. So you have to go back and listen to this podcast and send me a link to every single book you've mentioned so that I can put it. In the <laughs> I will. <laughs> I will. Yes, I will. Okay. The book is called messages from the body. Okay. Um, and I actually love this because Anything you can think about, um, and you can get, you could write any of this stuff, you can take to the next level. You can turn anything into an obsession. So I'm not advising for that. But, um, but the whole premise of the book, and it's basically an encyclopedia, is that every physical problem that you could encounter has an energetic or an emotional origin. Okay. Um, and I think that if we think about what is an autoimmune condition, this is, is one expensive book, $400. Oh, don't look on Amazon. Go, you have okay. to go. Yeah. The author has a site. Um, the author is Michael Lincoln. And uh, I think if you actually go to his site, it's still a little pricey. It's like 80 bucks or something or, okay. but yeah, don't look on like Amazon or eBay. Cause for some reason it's like four or $500 and it's insane. Okay. All um, right. Anyway, get back to what you were saying. So every, every, 
every physical kind of thing has an energetic signature imprint. Yeah, you said it way more eloquently than I did. So yeah, <laughs> um, in, in with autoimmune conditions, like let's think of what is literally happening to the body in an autoimmune condition. This is the pop quiz, Ryan. Okay, the body is attacking itself. The body is attacking itself. Right. So you're attacking your body is attacking itself because it's kind of rejecting itself in a way. I mean, mm. it's not accepting itself. So you're fighting internally against yourself. So why is that? Why do you feel like you need to fight against yourself? What is so irritating about yourself? What is so menacing or what do you not like about yourself so much that it's causing physical conflict in your body? Mm. Um, and this is something that I had to really open up and explore with myself. And, you know, I have a laundry list of, of things that I obviously came up with, but everyone has to do their own exploration. But where is that conflict arising in your psyche and with yourself? Where is that lack of acceptance? Um, you know, other things like, let's say Hashimoto's, that is a disease of a thyroid. So a lot of times, energetically speaking, when in your life were you not able to speak up for yourself? Mm -hmm. Were you not able to speak your truth? Were you not able to ask for what you needed or what you wanted and be heard? Um, so we can start to think about how energetically these things resonate. And that doesn't mean that we, don't, that we need to ignore diet or that we need to ignore the fact that you have negative $75 in your checking account, but we have to go deeper. And that's that other 20% that I alluded to earlier maybe diet and lifestyle will get you 80% there. Right. But what's that other piece? Um, right. And this is where, you know, this is where that exploration comes in. And I think it's, it's super important. Right. And so after you go through you know, the kind of exploration and you're sort of discovering those things, you know, at the top of your pyramid, then you have things like spiritual healing and awareness and then, and then total wellness. So and this mm -hmm. idea, I mean, and this is sort of how I think we, well, it's definitely how, how we became uh, acquainted, the idea of spiritual, mm -hmm. spiritual awareness. Um, how do you, how did you start approaching that? And when did that be, start becoming more important? Did you have to kind of go through all this other stuff first before that became a very real uh, avenue of, of, you know, exploration or was it something that was there throughout the whole process? Yeah. So honestly, before I got sick, I was a self-proclaimed atheist or like <laughs> nihilist or like, you know, I was just like very, very bougie. I was like, I am obviously more intellectual than anyone else and there is no God. Um, but <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, clearly I am the smartest man in the world. Um, but again, through this healing and through opening up this idea of acceptance, I think the thing that helped me was when I learned to love and accept myself, I realized that I could learn to love and accept God. And I say God, whatever, capital G, lowercase g, whatever it means to you, mm -hmm. but something higher than yourself um, because you trust, right? right? And I think that spirituality is a lot of trust. And if you don't have trust to yourself, if you don't trust yourself, then you're going to reject yourself. You're going to um, not accept yourself. And because we're all reflections of each other, we're all one. I mean, chances are if someone's listening to this podcast, they understand what we're saying here. But if you don't 
love and accept yourself, you're not going to be able to, I think, open up to a higher power or exploring that spiritual side of yourself either. Um, So that's when it started happening for me was, okay, I don't necessarily hate myself anymore. I'm feeling a little better. So what is this thing? Maybe I should look into it because I'm feeling a pull in that direction. And, you know, you're just clearer. Your, your mind is clearer. Um, and that's, that's what really helped me and kind of started dipping my toes into that. Right. And then, you know, where, where does that, because you know, in the pyramid, that's up towards the top. So it's, it's, a, bit of, it's a bit of a smaller portion of the pyramid. Um, do you eventually move such that, you know, the, those higher planes of the pyramid are, are more acutely in your awareness and you're, and you're less focused on the lower or does the lower portions of say lifestyle and the physical and clearing traumas learning to love, does that just become more automatic or natural? I think that's a really good question and a really cool distinction that I didn't really think about until just now where in terms of focus, what is your awareness, attention, time, and energy being spent on? Um, I feel like when you have gone through cleaning up your physicality and your lifestyle, you've started to address some of this emotional, maybe these emotional snags, these limiting beliefs. Um, You've started to love and accept yourself. You've moved on to spiritual realities and you're exploring that. Maybe the pyramid flips on its head. Hmm. And in terms of awareness and focus of what you're constantly thinking about and what you're absorbed in, you know, maybe that flips. And so now spirituality is actually that top because you've got the other stuff under control, Mm -hmm. but it's always in flux. Uh, There are times in my life where maybe I'm just not really paying attention and I'm work, I'm overworking. I'm working, you know, I run my own business again. Sometimes I don't even notice it, but I'm working 70, 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And that pyramid starts to shift the other way again. And suddenly I find myself, oh, crap, <laughs> I got to go back to the basics here. What am I eating? What am I putting in my body? Like, how much caffeine am I drinking? Am I sleeping? <laughs> um, so I think the, the awareness can kind of shift, but I would still maintain that the order of events may all, you know, it, it, it may always need to kind of follow that structure and your attention and where you place your attention and focus may need to shift according to where you're at in your journey. Right. Um, and by the way, uh, this is, this can be repetitive. So you may, um, go through one round of this pyramid, (laughs) get all the way to the top and then you're knocked back down. Um, And that's not, that's not malicious. That's not bad. That's good. That's good. Because then, you're going one level deeper. Right. You're getting the chance and the opportunity to heal more and deeper and better. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that makes I sense. And, yeah. and so we're getting a little close to, to the uh, scheduled time limit that I typically set for these podcasts. Oh, sure. Yeah, so, but I really want to, now, one final thought. You know, when it comes to this idea of health and well-being, you know, just like people can be obsessed with um, – with say food or, you know, I've got to eat this food because it's healthier. I've got to exercise or I need this supplement or, you know, I got to watch my relationships. They can obsess about anything. So I'm curious what you think about the obsession with health itself. I mean, I, I touched upon this, I believe uh, maybe two podcasts ago with um, 
uh, Vincent de Paula on uh, mm -hmm. living through death. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, I, I think health is important. I think it's wonderful, wonderful to be healthy. I'd rather be healthy, I think, than, than not healthy. Um, but, you know, where does sickness fall in there? I mean, because it's, it's also a natural process too. So if from mm -hmm. your experience, like I, I know you talk to people, I've referred people to you. Uh, how, mm. how do you, how do you share like the, the, a balanced approach of, of doing your best, but also realizing that, Hey, every now and then, you know, just things are going to be unwell, just like, you know, today and yesterday we had storms, but the weather mm. had, been, had been beautiful uh, the last two or three weeks or so. How do you, how do you share that? And, and where do you, where do you fall on, on that understanding of that kind of idea? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. We could do a whole episode just on this. Um, yeah. I, I, like, I like to conclude with things like this just to really. <laughs> <laughs> You've got one minute go. Yeah. Um, so uh, actually, and I, I, I'm not trying to sound overly promotional or anything like that. I just genuinely believe in the stuff that I'm writing about and the content I'm producing, but on my blog, um, <laughs> I actually have a, a little mini course. It's completely free. It's like an email course. And um, it's called like five mistakes to, you make when healing autoimmunity. I okay. forget the title of it. But um, one of the episodes, spoiler alert, I talk about uh, something that I've termed illness OCD. Okay. And uh, obviously for listeners who may not be familiar with OCD, that stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And um, I think... I used to, in Kansas city, I used to run a, a, an autoimmune support group and we had like 250 people in it and we would have meetings and it was really, it was really a, kind of a cool community, but that's where I got to observe a lot of this behavior and, and learn about it. And I think that you can get to a point where you're trying to control every single thing about your body, about your food, about your environment, about your illness and disease again. And that is just as unhealthy is if you were to just be free, let go, have fun, enjoy life. I think that understanding your diagnosis, under, getting the right test results or, you know, getting the right diagnostics and testing uh, completed, perhaps prescribing to a healing diet for 30 or 60 days to kick things off, fine, do it because mm -hmm. it, it can help accelerate your healing. But when you, when all you're obsessed with are your tests, is your illness, um, are the foods that you're putting into your body, then you're kind of treading that fine line of, of this like illness OCD where you're allowing it to run and define your life. Right. Um, a lot of times I find that when people finally get a, a much sought after diagnosis, it either does one of two things. It either empowers them or it feeds the disease because it gives power to the disease. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, I think that being in the right mental space and not letting your illness run you, but managing your illness. Um, it's again, this could be a, this could be a total uh, episode. And that's why I recommended like maybe <laughs> that little course. Cause I do elaborate more on it, but okay. it, it is tricky, but it's, it's really important, I think. That's a great question. Right. Well, then we'll just go ahead and let people go to your course, and that will be another link that you have to email to me so that I can, <laughs> so that I can put yeah. in the description of this podcast because we've touched upon so many things, and um, I really hope that individuals dig into those books, maybe go check out your website and um, uh, 
and that's why I wanted you on this because I know you're, you're knowledgeable about these things and I know that you've, you've been through a lot of this yourself and have a lot of resources. Um, so, uh, you know, there, you. There's, there's so much more I, I would like to discuss because the whole health and well-being is, is such a broad topic. So maybe we will, maybe we will have a, a second follow-up podcast and, and, and people who are listening to the podcast, if there are specific questions that came up, uh, we, we can mm. have them type them into the comments and then we can base yeah. our, next, our next podcast together uh, looking at what, what people want to go into uh, from their own interests and we can, we can follow up with that. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Thank Sound you. good? That'd be cool. Okay. Absolutely. Good. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> so just a reminder, you know, Mitch's website is instinctualwellbeing.com. Um, but there is also another podcast you wanted to mention. We talked about right before we started recording. Um, was that on, going to be on your website or somewhere else? Or post that you were talking about? Oh, yes. So I'm actually, uh, yes, I'm actually in the process of writing um, a series that's elaborating about the pyramid that we talked about. And so I believe by the time this podcast actually goes live, that series should also be live on my blog. So you can okay. check that out. But um, yeah, I, I can send you some links and people can sure. interact with that as they, as they please. Yeah. And with your, with your blog, so I'm at instinctualwellbeing.com um, mm. and your blog posts, those are just the ones down after it says recent posts for healing autoimmunity, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And there's, there's different categories you can use in the main drop down, or you can just scroll down on the homepage and you'll kind of see the most recent ones. But um, if you go to consciousness and lifestyle in the drop down, there's a lot. I mean, honestly, I put a lot of time in these posts. That's why I don't post very frequently, because it, it takes me a long time to put them together. But right. um, I'd recommend going back in the archives and reading some stuff because you might, you know, I definitely go very in depth with all of this, uh, this this idea of using your instincts to get back to health, and sometimes that involves food, and sometimes it involves uh, just letting go and relaxing. Um, okay. So, well, I yeah. do see I do see under lifestyle that one of the second posts as of today is the ultimate guide to composting. So, I'm just curious. Uh. Did you uh, yeah. did, did you mention in there how dumping uh, human urine on your <laughs> compost pile is an excellent way to get it going? <laughs> I don't remember, but I literally might have. I might have <laughs> put that in there and been like, my, my weird friend like said. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, at, while we're here, you know, just so you know, th- this is my newest theory about composting. I think that if you take your, you collect your urine and you, you get your compost going because actually using urine and like 10 to one water is, is a really good fertilizer mm-hmm. for your plants. But, but oh, what, wow. what really happens if you do that is then your plants learn what you're lacking and then they will actually create the nutrients you need for better health and well-being. You know, I'm just saying that's a theory. So you all test it out and let me know how it goes. <laughs> oh my gosh! So start eating the plants that you are peeing on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ryan's advice, ladies. And gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, so we'll write, a, we'll write a blog post on that. But anyway, all right. Well, it was good talking to you, Mitch, and I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to log on to the call with me and uh, you know, discuss what, what you've learned in this whole health and healing process. Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was good talking to you, and we'll be in touch soon. Okay, sounds good. Talk to you soon. Yeah.